you would take out your copies of God's Word and turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We're going to be looking at our triumphal entry today, Lord Jesus. For those of you that were here with us last year and have a better memory than I, this was the text that we looked at last year. I didn't realize that until halfway through my preparation, and it was too late to change passages. But I bring this up, not just to have a chance to laugh at my poor memory, but also to show that there is so much that we can take out of any individual passage of Scripture. That there is so much to see. Yes, there is only one meaning when we look at a text. The text means what it has always meant. But the way in which it can be applied to our lives is so much, and there's so much to mine out of every passage of Scripture. So turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11 this morning. So listen carefully, because this is God's word to us today. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go and ask God to help us see this passage correctly. Oh, Lord, we do thank you for this passage that you have in front of us and for the many truths that it contains. I ask that you would help us to listen and more importantly, to be doers of this word. May this word be communicated well. May our hearts receive it. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. During World War II, there was a city of 75,000 people in Tennessee, known as Oak Ridge. Or rather, I should say it was unknown as Oak Ridge because it was a secret town. In fact, it was so secret of a town, the vice president at the time was unaware of its existence. The reason for it is all 75,000 of their, these residents were working on the Manhattan Project. Those that know, this was the atomic bomb. How is it though, that you can keep something like this secret. It turns out that even the 75,000 residents did not know what they were working on. 
and didn't find out that they were the ones that were a part of this Manhattan Project until they read about it in the newspaper after it was dropped in Japan. Only about a dozen people knew how all these pieces fit together. It turns out all 75,000 were all given a very specific job and were not told how it related to the other. One man's whole job was to watch a gauge, and when it went up to 100, he was to turn a valve. And that was it. He was not told what it meant or how it related to anything else. A woman who worked in the laundry was told to hold up a device up to each one of the clothing items and listen for clicking sounds. She had no idea if she was holding onto a Geiger counter and was testing for radioactivity. Now, I can imagine in each of these people's positions, they probably questioned how this was helpful. They were all told that their work was going to win World War II. But I could imagine the valve guy watching a dial for a year, twisting a valve, was probably wondering, how is this helping defeat? The Nazis? Or the person in the laundry probably felt like her job was very unconnected to anything else that anybody else was doing. But they knew what their aim was, and they wanted to fulfill it and work for their country. Now, this relates in some way to what we are called to do. Although there are many specific differences, our work is not secret. We're supposed to tell as many people as possible about the work that we're doing. We do know what the end of our work is, and we know even more importantly that it is a victory that we are working towards. We've read the end of the book. We know how the story ends. But there is something that is similar to our work and the people that worked at Oak Ridge, is oftentimes we don't know how our individual tasks that we have been given relate to the wider cause. All of us are involved in different seasons of life. All of us have different positions, different social circles, different jobs that we're all involved in. And it can be difficult when we have our ministries, especially the ones that seem thankless, it's hard to see how these things fit together and how it is that the Lord is building his kingdom in this. For those of you that were in Sunday school, it was a wonderful story about this very gospel of Mark. Mark was known by the Apostle Paul as John Mark, who was supposed to come with him on a missionary journey, but he failed so hard he was fired from Paul's assistance and was sent away. Rather than becoming sullen, John Mark went on to write this gospel that we are now reading here today. He probably didn't see how the getting fired from working with Paul fit into the overall kingdom of God. But we are now blessed by what's happened from there. And I think with this example, we can start to see how this will all relate to us and how we are a part of this kingdom work. So we're going to look at two points today as we examine this passage together. As you can see in your bulletin, as God's commands in God's ways always fulfill God's plans. God's commands in God's ways always fulfill God's plans. And secondly, we don't have to know God's plans to fulfill his commands. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So first, God's commands in God's ways always fulfill God's 
plan. So let's take a look at where we are. We are approaching Jerusalem in Mark chapter 11. Now, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you actually have reason to be a little afraid at this point. Using the other Gospels, we can kind of get an idea as to what is going on in Jesus' life at this point. If you turn to John chapter 11, we will find in John 11 verse 7 some interesting background as to a recent run-in that Jesus has had here in Jerusalem. Verse 7. After this, he said to the disciples, let us, go to, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Here Jesus has had an, has had a, an unfortunate run-in with these Jews. They wanted to kill him last time he was here in Jerusalem. And then we get the disciples' take. Here Jesus wants to go there, be, back to just outside of Jerusalem to go raise Lazarus from the dead. And here we skip down to verse 14, Jesus telling them this. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him, go just outside of Jerusalem. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You can feel the positivity just radiating from Thomas here. But he has an accurate viewpoint. The Jews are seeking to kill Jesus. That's kind of Jesus' point as to why he's going to Jerusalem. So you could imagine as they are seeing this thing progress, they would think, I don't know what Jesus is doing. I think our master has kind of lost his mind. Why are we going to go to such hostile people? But then I can also imagine, as we go and jump back into Mark chapter 11, as a, few day, as a few days go by and Jesus tells his disciples to go and commandeer a cult that is in this village just outside of Jerusalem. And if they are given any sort of pushback as to, how, as to why they're taking this, that this is what they're supposed to say. That this cult is going to be returned to them immediately. Jesus is going to be now riding into Jerusalem. Now, as scholars point out, this is not how you go into Jerusalem during Passover. Jerusalem is packed. There's 100,000 people that have come for Passover. And if you want a scale as to about what the city of, of Jerusalem was, was like, imagine Samford's campus. It's not large. Do you imagine trying to squeeze 100,000 people onto Samford's campus? There was not a time to get onto a donkey and try to ride into traffic. This would take up too much space, and you would draw a lot of attention to yourself, which you don't want to do when people are trying to kill you in this moment. But I could imagine, as the disciples go out and go get this donkey, it's just as Jesus has told them. As strange as it may be, this command seems to be working. They turn over this donkey to them, and they bring him back. And then maybe it hits the disciples as they're walking back. It's like, wait a second. He's going to be riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem. I remember a prophecy about that. What we had just read in Zechariah. Behold, your king is coming, mounted on a donkey. This is the Messiah. Here it is. He's coming in. 
This is what kings used to do. They could walk into a city and demand a ride because they were the king. So maybe he's starting to finally break out this Messiah thing we have been waiting for for so long. He's riding in victoriously, just like David did. Now he's riding back. This is the most Messiahing that Jesus has done so far. And then the rest of the crowd gets into it. As we see going on, they start rolling out the royal red carpet, as it were. Start throwing their cloaks down in this symbol of reverence. They start cutting out palm branches, which again is a symbol of victory. And start laying them on the road, shouting out, Hosanna, which means save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now you can imagine now as the disciples are sitting back and looking at all this that's happening. I could see all of them saying, it all makes sense now. All these little things that we've been working on. I see why he wanted to go back into Jerusalem now. It wasn't because he's going to be killed. We'll follow up on that in a minute. But he's going to be the Messiah. He's finally going to take his throne. Now going off and, and borrowing a cult from somebody makes sense. He needs this to fulfill the prophecy that we have been talking about for hundreds of years now. I could imagine them thinking about the generosity of Lazarus' family, who was probably hosting him at the time. Bethany is just outside of Jerusalem, and that's where they lived. All of a sudden, all these little acts of service seemed to be falling together. But no one of them seemed all that grand. Two disciples going off to get an animal? What'd that take them, 20 minutes? But yet it was all part of this larger story. Mary and Martha sprucing up the house so that the disciples and Jesus could come and stay. Something they've probably done before. But has this significance as Jesus is now riding in victoriously. Here, the Lord has sovereignly worked all of these details out, but has used these people's individual gifts and efforts to make this a reality. And the same is still true today. The Lord still is working out his plans in us, in you. Even in those individual things that don't feel like much at any given point. We're starting up an ESL class here. We've got the chance to to meet a few of the students on Monday. And we're having more students coming in this coming Monday. Some from because they've they've had an outreach by our members and are getting to hear the gospel. It doesn't sound like much. Coming and helping somebody work on their English. But the Lord uses those things. To spread his word. It's those everyday faithfulnesses. Oftentimes the stuff that feels the most thankless. For you moms as you're raising your children. And fathers as you're raising your children. Day in and day out does not feel like much progress. But the Lord is using those things. To the nursery workers. Especially if those nursery workers can hear me right now. (laughs) We appreciate you. In those services that often feel thankless. But the Lord is using to build his church. We're serving in God's nursery. We're vacuuming the Lord's church. No service to the Lord is insignificant. Because it's building towards something great. We're not building a bomb. We're building a kingdom that's to restore, not destroy. Now, doesn't that make you want to be a part of that work? But before we say yes to that very quickly, we need to get to the second point. 
We'll take a look at that. It says we don't have to know God's plans to fulfill God's commands. We don't, in other words, we don't have to know what God is doing with our efforts in order to serve him well. As much as we would like to know what God is doing in our lives, that's not part of the need-to-know basis of our work. I bring all this up because of what we see in verse 11. Look what it says here. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Doesn't that feel extremely anticlimactic? Here it seems like Jesus is fulfilling prophecies from Zechariah. The Messiah is coming. All the city is electrified. And then it's just over. Now, part of this effect is because Mark is telling us a very compressed story. He's probably summarizing a lot of details. But at the end of the day, this is what happened. It's probably several hours later. But this is what happens. Nobody wants to host the incoming Messiah. He has to go back out to Bethany. And as we find out later in the next passage, if we had time to examine it, he's going out to go look on a wild fig tree for breakfast. He's not been served food. And he even comes to the fig tree, and the fig tree is empty, which is uh, an analogy for the city itself, but that's another sermon entirely. How is it that this is where the Messiah is going? And of course, while we don't hear from the disciples much more after this, I could imagine what they're thinking. Because they were very, very focused on this coming kingdom. They bring this up even in the beginning of Acts, when Jesus has risen from the dead and is ascending into heaven. They look at him and they say, okay, now are we going to establish this earthly kingdom? And Jesus is saying, no, not yet. They've been very focused on this. And yet here, this isn't happening. And I could imagine that they would have this disappointment as this goes on, especially as we get to the end of the week. And as we examine the scriptures over the course of this Holy Week, we can see how this develops. And it's not the direction that the disciples are likely thinking. Here, when they come to celebrate the Passover, they're going to find out it's the last one. They find out not only is Jesus going to die, but they're going to abandon him. One of them is going to deny him three times. This is not what they pictured. And further, this is not the direction that things were looking like it was going to go. You could make a very solid argument. All of this is clearly we can see what the Lord is doing. We've got Old Testament prophecies. We've got a verse and chapter we can cite. Surely we know where God's going. And they didn't. It was a shift. Maybe some of you have experienced this. When you've looked at your life and you see, it's like, oh, I can see what God's doing here. Finally, the pieces that I've been working on, the things that I've been teaching my children, it's all falling into place now and I can see where the Lord's going. And then all of a sudden, big turn to the left and you have no idea where that came from. You spend so much time discipling your children and then they just leave. You invest so much into a spouse, but they leave you anyway. 
And it doesn't feel like this is going according to any sort of plan, much less any plan that's supposed to be for our good and God's glory. I could imagine that's how the disciples felt as they watched not only who they thought was going to be their king not ascend the throne, but instead ascend a cross to take on the ultimate dishonor. That's a whole other passage of scripture. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. I thought this was God's chosen one. He's nailed to a cross. The most dishonorable way one could possibly die. But yet all of those things that the disciples did, it was still serving the Lord's plan. All of those little acts of obedience and faithfulness were still driving towards this unexpected turn, but to them, but not unexpected to God. So when things are not going the way that you have envisioned them to be, this doesn't mean that it's not going according to plan. It certainly seemed that God's plan was ruined at the cross, but that was actually God's plan at the height of its work. And I think that's something that we can take comfort in as we watch the news cycle and, see to, and seem to look at a world that is spiraling completely out of control and think, what is God doing? This doesn't sound like the triumphal end that we're going towards. This seems like this can only end in destruction. Yet we know where God's going. God knows where God's going. So keep at it. Keep working in this ministry. Not because, well, if you just keep trying hard enough, eventually you'll get it. If you keep trying hard enough, eventually you will get the result that you want. No, that's not promised to you. But if you keep working, the Lord's going to use it. He's going to build a kingdom that is going to last forever and ever. And how all of our individual lives fit into that, no one of us is able to tell that. But what I do know is the same Lord that has put Mark chapter 11 together is the same Lord that's putting your life together. You can't see where it's going, at least in every twist and turn. But we do know where its end is. That one day... The Lord is going to ascend a throne here on earth. We'll be riding a donkey. We'll be riding a victory horse. And we'll one day restore all things to how they should be. Redeem all of this world. So this isn't keep pressing on because things will get better. It's keep pressing on because he is better. This is whom we're working for. And he will make things better at the end of time, perhaps not in our lives, but certainly at the end of time, he will make all things new. So what's our takeaway? Jesus is going to execute his plans his way. And you are invited to be a part of that work. So embrace as much of it as you can because it is significant and world-changing. Not because of the work itself but it's because it's God's work that he is involving you in, that we get to be a part of. We don't have to know how this is going to work out for us personally in order to be obedient. 
but because we know who controls that end result and how much he loves us, we can be obedient gladly all the way to the end. Your work matters. The way that you do this work matters. We're called to be obedient, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when the rest of the world is going to make us suffer for it. This is what God has called us to. He will be faithful to us. He already has been, and he always will be. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for this time that we have to spend in your word. I ask that you would help us to look to this clearly. That we would go and be obedient to what you've called us to. Not because it's easy. Not because it's comfortable. Not because it even makes sense all the time. But because you've called us to it. You are good. You have loved us so deeply. And I ask that you would help impress this text on us. Not so that we feel a burden so that we can feel that burden lifted, knowing that you are working through us. Oh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would stand with me and let's sing our final hymn together, Nothing But the Blood.